The Athletic. Football show. Today, Champions League and mixed fortunes for London football. Chelsea find a sterling that's still not spent and earn a quarter. Spurs shuffle out with a performance that's more George Romero than Christian. We review the action, hear about Bayern PSG, and check out the weekend's fixtures in the Premier League. Will it be nine goals again for Liverpool at Bournemouth? How will Fulham hurt Arsenal? And which fixture always ends 1 1? It's all coming up in this Totally Football show. Thursday the 9th of March and thank you for joining us listener here on the Totally Football Show got an exciting lineup for you today Adrian Clark's here all right Adrian hello it's a nice top you're wearing Adrian <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm uh, Arsenal's version of uh, Tony Poolish yeah it looks a bit new yeah I'm just where the club shop these days well they bring out a new bit of merch almost mm. every week Arsenal mm. at the moment and they get me to wear the clobber really? on, on a match day and today okay. is a match day how broad a range of this vitmonts do they have <laughs> too many so many really? uh, but my favourite is the is what's the, the most France niche range. item there's a France range which is which is France. glorious yeah. yeah it's a French range we've obviously got a long tradition of, of French connections uh, right at Arsenal and yes it's probably the, my fave okay what's in it it's just like the the, the colours, you know, mm. red, white, and onions, baguettes. <laughs> no, <laughs> Duncan Alexander also with us today, as is Charlie Eccleshare. Hello, James. Fresh from Tottenham Milan, possibly the most for my sins game of all time. Right up there, right yeah. up there. Yeah, and that had been previewed as well. I had asked a friend if he was going, and he did respond for my sins. <laughs> right, and so it proved it was it was exactly I think as most people feared it would be. Mm. Just really dirgy, dismal, boring nil-nil. Want to hear about that. Duncan, what did you <laughs> spend your midweek doing? I actually watched Spurs Milan, yeah. yeah. So, um, and can concur with uh, that conclusion. Although it, I think it got so bad, it almost became performance art at some point. <laughs> so, it, it was actually good in the end. You've got you to love the Milan Ultras with no, no shirts on under the, the, the driving icy... North London rain. Yeah, that was impressive. They were having a nice time. So Certainly were. All right, well, uh, Champions League is going to be item one on our agenda today. A midweek set of fixtures which saw Milan at Chelsea, Bayern and Benfica going through to the quarterfinals with Spurs, Dortmund, Paris Saint-Germain and Bruges out. And Scott Parker out from Bruges, fired twice in the same season. Yeah, not many managers lose 9-0 at one club and then get knocked out 7-1 on aggregate in the Champions League knockout stages. But um, he's done it, so mm. he's out, out. It, it, producer Ben, erstwhile producer Ben, was asking the question, how many managers get fired twice in one season? It, or has anybody ever been fired three times in mm. one season? But my memory was triggered of a current managerial fave, Luciano Spalletti, who's, of course, tearing it up with Napoli, who was fired twice in the same season by the same club way back in the uh, way back in I think the early early 2000s at Venezia when the, the uh, infamous Maurizio Zamperini was in charge he only had I think two wins in 12 so he fired him and then brought him back a couple of weeks later and then fired him again explaining <laughs> he always looks so down he has a funereal expression <laughs> so uh, yeah there's no enthusiasm anyway he'll uh, be he'll be back he'll be back who? in a championship job soon. Scott, Parker. Scott Parker yeah he'll be back right he'll get employment yeah oh, he, definitely he, yeah he's got promoted twice to the Premier League hmm. and, and now uh, Champions League experience <laughs> Champions League knockout experience how many English managers can say that we haven't seen 
seen the last of those rascal jackets, I'm sure. <laughs> Parker, had he gone a week earlier, he could have taken the Watford job mm. and, there, and mm. been quite plausibly been fired before the end of the season. He could have completed that hat-trick. <laughs> <laughs> Watford. Well, yeah, Rob Watford, who, who since our last show, and Adrian, you'll be all across this for your What the EFL podcast, mm. uh, who have released a friend of this podcast, Slavin Bilic. And uh, who's coming in? It's Chris Wilder. Chris yeah. Wilder. Chris Next Wilder. on the left. <laughs> Chris Wilder was, in fairness, probably the best manager out of work that's EFL related. So, so it's a logical step. Um, he's only on a contract till the end of the season, which is right. which is quite long term. Honourable. That's <laughs> yeah. that's pretty good for Watford. Yeah. That's yeah. like <laughs> it's quite that's like Alan Pardew's seven year deal. <laughs> yeah. isn't it? They're trying to amortise that contract. <laughs> uh, he's the 18th manager Watford have had in the 11 years under the ownership of the Pozzos. 18th permanent manager, which is the same number, Duncan, as West Ham have had in their entire history. Is so, that true? It is true. Wow. Yeah. I mean, obviously, David Moyes is not on the firmest of grounds at the moment, so that might not be true. But in, in their entire so. history, they've only had 18... How do you define permanent manager? Well, it's a strange thing with clubs in that you go back sort of 50, 70 years and some clubs stuck with a sort of committee for a long time. So, oh, I see. So you, you will get some clubs that have, didn't really have a manager till the sort of 1950s. A bit like England, you know, Walter Winterbottom was England's first proper manager. So, what year was that? Mm, 50s. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, West Ham obviously, you know, had people like John Love for a long time, Harry Redknapp for a long time, David Moyes for quite a long time. Obviously, it's accelerated a, a bit in the Premier League era, but yeah, they... Uh, they definitely tick the sort of non-Watford box, shall we say. Nice. All right. Well, let's move on to a club who are no strangers to managerial upheaval, Chelsea. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Checking now for potential encroachment, he might get a chance to take it again. This is incredible. He is going to take it again. It's incredible. No way. Wow. Same technique. This time he finds the corner. Call is not in the place. Tuesday night at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea 2, Dortmund 0. Dortmund, who came into the fixture on a 10 game winning streak. Chelsea's run of victories was one prior to Tuesday night, but it's now two. And this could be a particularly key one. A lot of people saying, as they watch the Blues go through to the quarterfinals, this this could be the game that turns the corner for Graham Potter at Chelsea. What do you think? It looked like a different Graham Potter, didn't it, on the sidelines? I, th- I think he was certainly a bit more animated. There was more edge, I think, to Chelsea's play on the night. There's a bit more fire in their bellies. It was a really strong, assertive performance, I thought. It, you know, much different to their recent Premier League outings. And they managed to score twice, which is just <laughs> remarkable for Chelsea. First time this year. Uh, yeah. I mean, they've scored one or less in 18 of 25 Premier League games this season. It's, they've scored more than two once. Mm. So this is this is a big problem for them. Mm. Obviously, the second goal the second is goal. highly disputable <laughs> in terms of, A, the award of the penalty. And, but and they did cross. hit the post elsewhere and had goals yeah. pulled back Kinda from the side. They played, they played great and they deserved mm. the, to win on the night and they deserved to go through 
on aggregate. And I'm really pleased for Graham Potter. I, d- I do feel that probably all of us should only really judge Graham Potter when he has a run of games with Reese James and Ben Chilwell in the yeah. team because they are mm. the most important players in that Chelsea side. No doubt about that. They just balance it out. And, uh, and they were both obviously highly influential in this one. All right. Cucurella as well, earning rave reviews in his first appearance since the last well, time they played Dortmund. Yeah, and Koulibaly as well. I mean, I think that form. I think you know that formation really suits Chelsea. It felt like almost like a Thomas Tuchel performance in some ways, and you know they freed up Kai Havertz as sort of double number ten with uh, with Joao Felix, and you know and thought Raheem Sterling did a lot of you know off the ball running, which really helped. It was just a really well constructed team for the first time, and it felt like it felt for the first time watching it like you knew what the Chelsea all the players were supposed to be doing. And it didn't matter that they'd brought in tons of players because here were eleven players that were actually doing. A, everyone knew their job, and and they yeah they fully deserved to win. Mm. What was the formation? What what was different about it? Well, he di- he did it against Leeds at the weekend, and I think it worked okay. So they carried it on for this game. But yeah, it's three four three basically. Um, and his agent says with both Reese James and Ben Chilwell in the team, it's transformative for them. It really is. And the only issue there is neither of those players are particularly good at staying fit mm. but if they do I mean we don't know the draw yet for the for the quarterfinals but it's not impossible Chelsea go on a on a mad run a 2012-esque yeah. escapade I mean you do we talked about that a few weeks ago and you said you look at the draw and it's not like previous years where it's loaded with heavyweights and you think oh god you know I, there are a few teams I think Chelsea might fancy themselves against, or at least to give a good game. Um, and I think what was impressive was, given that they have had this, the narrative recently has been that they can't score, they miss loads of chances. For 40 or so minutes, that was exactly what was happening. You know, it, it, almost comically so. Havertz with that one that hit the post, then dribbled along the line, <laughs> hit the other post. You think, like, <laughs> they just find like new and funny ways not to score. So to then be able to kind of make that breakthrough is even impressive. the first goal, like Sterling yeah. completely misses. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. bounces back to him, and he, yeah. he just lashed it, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. He just thought, oh, sod this. It, but it, smash it. It almost felt like um, that him just lashing that in almost, you know, released all those worries. Right. Cathartic. Yeah, yeah, it was, mm. and you know they they had a disallowed goal in the second half where they burst through again, yeah. and, and Sterling pass it to Conor Gallagher, you know, that, that would have capped it off. And, and Dortmund were, were a good team, or are a good team going into that game. Yeah, one or two key absences for, mm. for them. Yeah, Brandt the went off early. Brandt going off, yeah. I've got a challenge for Graham Potter. Do we think he's got it in him to just stick with this team? Mm. Obviously, he's got the biggest squad on the planet. Very, very hard. I think it's almost an impossible job to keep them all happy. But he's stumbled on something. He's got a team now. Just mm. stick with it, right? Build those relationships, you know, get, Lest- get some chemistry going. Leicester away this weekend. I'd pick the same team. They're in a really weird position the rest of the season because they're a long way off. Top. I mean, they're not going to get top four. 11 points. But, yeah, mm. I don't see that happening. I think there are too many teams between them. So it might get to a point fairly soon. I mean, not dissimilar from 2012. Where they they finished sixth, I think, in the end, where they bait, you know, they or United in 2017 did it with the Europa League, where you actually massively prioritise the European competition and slightly toss away the league. I just wonder at what point that happens, because also, I think they'd rather not be in Europe than the Conference League, quite mm. possibly for next season. I don't see what the Conference League does for a club like Chelsea, particularly, but not being in it gives you those free weeks. We saw the last time Chelsea won the league under Conte 2017. 
they benefited massively from that. So it'll be interesting to see at what point they make that call. Okay, speaking of calls, uh, the penalty decision and then the second penalty decision, Mm. is that worthy of the controversy that's followed it? I didn't think the award was that controversial. I mean, of the of of the handball on Wolf, the Wolf hand, which is an amusing right. <laughs> sentence to say. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking of a wolf with a hand. Um, I mean, the hand was out. I think right, you was know. it a claw? Yeah, he tried to claw it away. Um, so I think that was fine. I mean, yeah, I think most of the controversy was around the the retake, the encroachment, because mm, mm. there were Chelsea and Dortmund players within the box. Right. But the response that I've seen to that was that had the penalty been scored first time mm. it would still have been retaken but this time on account of the Chelsea players encroaching it's a lot of fun and games that's for sure yeah I mean anyone that remembers back before VAR and we all thought that it might end these sort of con- I think I've probably learned more about the laws of football in the last mm. five years than mm. the previous five so it's, it's a classic where it's fine for them to do it but you do sense that that happens a lot and isn't picked up yeah. on a bit like that one the Goal Arsenal scored against Leicester with encroachment at a corner. And then in the Bournemouth Arsenal game, they were sort of pushing. You know, there is always sort of there's stuff going on at corners. So then it's kind of like, you know, we don't want to see those goals disallowed. But then it happens once like it did last it's night. The eternal... We're asking for consistency. Well, well that, it is that. I prefer common sense. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we just... We should... But there will. You're guaranteed there'll be a penalty that's scored and they'll be or missed and there'll be encroachment. It won't be given and there'll be a hole. But look what happened with Chelsea and Dortmund. Right. The, the, yeah, we could go over every game and you could say, well, that happened in that game and not that game. Um, the Arsenal had four VAR appeals here we against go. Bournemouth. <laughs> here we go. All, in my opinion, equally as strong as the uh-huh. as the one where the Chelsea won, yeah. won a penalty for. Yeah. So, it's, I, yeah. Yeah, luckily, I Adrian, let's just give up on it. These things just they, they even themselves mm-hmm. out by the end of the season. Not in a Champions League, though. isn't that just in a league? <laughs> I think I think in a knockout competition, you can you can get lucky. Wow! But we should say hats off to Kai Havertz for doing the exact same penalty. Yeah. Well, not exact because it didn't hit the post, but that was that was great. Especially for a guy who, as in the first half with that chance I mentioned, the one that hit the post, he had the goal disallowed he has been he had that one disallowed against Liverpool as well didn't he the VAR intervene on it does feel like he's a lot conspired against him so to have the nerve there was I, yeah was I had to do a triple strong. retake once did you Adrian really yeah. and did FA, you score at the first FA Cup qualifier and I scored them all yeah, yeah. and I, I did go in the same place I saw it was just it, a, like all a double three times bluff. yeah it was a really? total double bluff but I knew the goalie triple as well bluff. he was an old mm. mate of mine so it was really hard but yeah, I kind of got away with it. I mean, a couple of well, my how, penalties Why were was it retaken twice? I, I think it was encroachment. It must have been. I can't mm. remember Hopefully exactly. that was consistent. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 but the it was, was quite scary having to take three in quick succession. I thought, yeah, I was, I was a bit nervous. Mm. Um, but yeah, it all turned out okay in the end. Do you think uh, Chelsea can get three in quick succession? Three three straight wins this weekend? Yes. Yeah? <laughs> Against yeah. the Leicester team yeah. that's lost four in a row? I was at the King Power for the Arsenal game. Honestly, they're so it was so passive. I mean, it was a, Really limp performance from from Leicester. Who that was no Madison, though, wasn't it? I know, no I know. Madison. Yeah, exactly. And he is really important to them. Well, he was back last week. Yeah, and they yeah. didn't have Still a shot was. on target at Southampton, which mm. just feels feels criminal. I, I, yeah, Leicester are in a bad shape at the moment. I think Chelsea are capable of grinding out a win there. I do. If okay. if if they want to, because Charlie's brought yeah. a very good <laughs> yeah, point yeah. In, in terms. Yeah, of we'll let you have this one. Let's, let, let's not be too good <laughs> yeah. so we qualify for Europe. Whoa there. Excellent. On the other side of town, uh, Spurs doing their best to avoid all sorts of competitions. Now out of the Champions League after a goalless draw with Milan. That's the first ever goalless draw at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, remarkably. Mm. Simon Hulbert says, how do I get my son to forgive me after I took him to Tottenham Milan? 
Jeffrey David says, what is the point of Spurs getting into the Champions League when the manager doesn't set the team up to attempt to score a goal for 150 minutes out of 180 minutes of knockout football? Crikey. Yeah, I mean, the whole this whole Champions League campaign has been really quite joyless. And I, and I remember for Spurs. Mm. And I remember that one game against Marseille, perhaps. All, yeah, Marseille was great. Um, but otherwise, I remember thinking, I think it was the sporting game and they were losing at home. And I was just like, what was the point? You know, you think of the Champions League, this holy grail. And then when you're in it, I was kind of like, is anyone actually enjoying this? It didn't really, it, honestly, it really didn't seem like it. Everyone was miserable. I was like, this may as well be a Europa League group game or a conference league there in last season. And I think that joylessness has contributed to why a lot of fans were so angry about, you know, almost throwing that Sheffield United Cup game. All right. Whereas in previous years, there might be an understanding of... Well, the you know, same thing happened last season. They lost to Middlesbrough, but it was like, well, you know, but it might help the top four and top four was this panacea. Once we get in there, you know, everything's going to be okay. And then you get it and you're like, oh, it actually doesn't change all that much unless you properly kick on. You're still in just this spiral of going for the top four. And so I think that's why fans, this is like, no, we want to win something. Like top four, Champions League hasn't even been that great for us this year. And, and especially they weren't helped because their group was quite uninspiring. They didn't really have any... It was the Europa League group. It was, it really was. And to be honest, the quality of this tie was very Europa mm. League. Mm. You know, and fair play to Milan, they, did as much, they didn't need to do any more than that. But um, yeah, I just think it was so flat. And, you know, you think back to their first Champions League campaign, 10-11 under Harry Redknapp, where, you know, what you want when you make that step up is to go and enjoy it to feel like this great adventure and you're showing the world wow look what we can do Leicester when they had their Champions League campaign and Spurs have had one since you know when they reached the final in, in 18-19 but it's, yeah it's just been but so uninspiring if you think about it Spurs ground is probably the best ground in the world right and that's the, the peak competition in football so that should be that should have been a great demonstration of football last night and it was mm. absolutely not I mean I, I don't support Spurs but I was so angry by the end just like do You're something angry drunk well, I've like, never I'm seen not, Duncan angry like, not angry mildly <laughs> you know Ugh. aggrieved yeah yeah because they they didn't do anything. It right. was just there was that late cane chance mm. that, that brought yeah. a great save from Minion. But otherwise, it was Milan who had the best opportunities here, as in the first leg. No? There was a point I think about fifty odd minutes into it where their, their Spurs' previous shot in target shot on target in the tie was in the seventy fifth minute at Milan. It was like well, Milan did defend well. Yeah, it, it wasn't all uh, Spurs' inability to score, but e equally uh, there didn't seem to be the impetus, the drive, or even the tactical decisions of a, of a team that desperately needed to turn a tie around. The fans getting particularly upset at the decision to take off uh, Kulusevski and bring on... That was uh, Sanchez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, to Romero had been sent off. It wasn't a total, right. um, a totally strange call to make. But yeah, you know, the optics of that are terrible. I think what's so frustrating is it played out as everyone feared it would, that, you know, they've... So many games Spurs have been bad in the first half... Even their recent wins, you know, West Ham and Chelsea were nil-nil at half-time. And there's a sense that Conte is almost fine with that. It's like, yeah, you know, first half, we'll let that drift, but then we'll we'll go and win it in the second half. But, you know, this was a Champions League last 16 tie. And, yeah, it just felt like it completely passed them by. Conte, in six seasons of Champions League football, has only ever won a knockout tie once. Mm. Remarkable. That was his first one as well, wasn't it? First so season, was all the way back in probably 12, would have been, yeah. yeah. The, it's just it's just so methodical, isn't it? That's the, that's the problem. There's not not really that urgency to get on the front foot and attack, which is staggering when you think. And I think we all agree that 
the strength of this Spurs side is Harry Kane and and Son and Kulisevsky, right? Well, okay, but you mentioned Son there, who's who's not been that Son for no. a while. No. Should should Richarlison maybe have started in Son's place? There's one person who certainly thinks yeah. so is Richarlison, <laughs> who <laughs> described his his season as excuse my language a sh. <laughs> uh, and basically outlined the fact that he was told that he was going to be starting this game yeah. and it hasn't happened and he's a bit bewildered with how yeah. this is going. I understand it because Son hasn't exactly been brilliant, has he? But Richarlison hasn't delivered that much when he's been out on the pitch. Mm. Two goals either. all in one game against Marseille but, but, in but, but, September. But my, if I was a Spurs fan, I wouldn't be upset with Richarlison. I wouldn't be upset with, with, with Son. I'd be upset with a hierarchy for hiring three of the most defensive managers around in Jose Mourinho, Nuno Espirito Santo, and now Antonio Conte. These are all guys that, that, that don't want or don't tend to have that many creative players on the pitch. <laughs> Is it a surprise? And, and when yeah. your three best players are forwards, you're, not, you're just not getting the touches that those three star players, especially Harry Kane, is not getting enough involvements in, in matches to make the difference. And for me, Spurs need... An attack-minded manager, mm. or a more certainly more flexible one. I mean, I I do think as well, given how much Conte's achieved, I think it's it's fair enough to be a little bit underwhelmed and disappointed with that lack of tactical flexibility. I, you know, it's fine to have a favoured system, but it just really doesn't seem like that is the best system for this team and for those players. And to persist with it again and again. You know, the evidence is there. And even, you know, yesterday they brought on Pedro Porro. He made a difference finally having, you know, a re an attacking wing back with a lot of thrust. Um, but again, it felt a bit too late. Mm. Out of the Champions League, at least you can concentrate on, well, what exactly, Charlie, now? Spurs? Top four. Top four. Get back into this competition and then... Let the circle begin. <laughs> well, I, I said, I made the point yesterday. It reminds me a bit of that late era Wenger-Arsenal, mm. where they did that, where they kept coming forth to go out in the last 16 and then re repeat Munich. to fade. Yeah, or Barcelona, whichever one they drew that year. I mean, and someone made the point to me, well, yeah, they were winning FA Cups, which is true. They weren't always. There was a big, you know, nine-year drought gap, as well. Yeah. But it did remind me because a lot of Arsenal fans, I remember at that time, were similarly like, we'd rather win the FA Cup or something than just mm, than this. Right. Well, we have planes flying well, over the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. <laughs> but also there's some Spurs fans I've seen saying, well... I mean, there's not many left, to be honest, but some saying, well, you know, we should give Conte more time because Arteta's had time and look what he's doing now. But I think the difference is that Arteta is like a massive Arsenal fan and he's desperate to succeed there. Mm. You don't really get that impression. Do you not? No, <laughs> I don't know. It's my, just a vibe. Yeah. My completely impartial view is that Spurs should absolutely give Antonio <laughs> Conte more time. Give him another year. Give him two. I, I do think there are going to be clubs who, because you're seeing it with Potter as well at Chelsea, there are going to be clubs who use the Arteta example mm. and really get it wrong you know Arteta they backed him and they were right to back him that doesn't always mean you should back your manager you saw it in the Ferguson Wenger era clubs you know yeah. the bottom of leagues going well if, yeah, if, look at Ferguson. if Arsenal can give Wenger yeah. this time it's like yeah that's slightly different but, but what, what Spurs need is young assets in the team don't they that's what they lack you know Arsenal, Arsenal have got Arteta a young manager but they've also got a series of young assets that have come through the academy that, that are tearing it up they've bought young players that were pretty good to start with, but their best years are ahead of them. I think that's got to be the recruitment model for Spurs moving forward, especially given that the best players that we're, we're talking about, Kane and Son in particular, mm. are getting on a bit, you know, and they might not stick around. And they might be moving on a bit Exactly. As well. I think mm. that it's the perfect time for 
a builder to come in. Really? So, I mean, yeah. to, be, to be fair. Reset, you think? A reset. Yeah, but, yeah. but that, but that again. You mean, you mean a football man, not an actual builder? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. Stadium's fine. Um, just the football on show there. But, but that's the, exactly the disconnect that, you're, that you described there because Paratici, the director of football, that is his approach. Yeah. You know, bring in younger guys, build for the future, etc. But then you bring in a win-now manager who doesn't want to use them? Who doesn't want to use them? So they signed Jed Spence in the summer. Mm-hmm. Conte told us in Korea it was a club signing. Those were his words. Before mm-hmm. the signing even been confirmed, basically disowning himself of this young guy coming in. And it's and he's now on loan for the second half of the season, having barely played in the first half of the season. So it's like you're trying... It's like imagine Arsenal having that strategy, but then having Mourinho or someone in charge and being like, I don't want Ben White. I want someone who can, you know, who can hit the ground running. Crikey. Well, may not be a situation that continues for too much longer by all accounts. So this weekend, Spurs are at home to Nottingham Forest. Duncan, following those disappointing performances against Sheffield United, Wolves and now Milan. Yeah, I mean, Forest are pretty bad away from home, which might help matters. Yes. But, I mean, this fixture reminds me of Teddy Sheringham, and I think... Does it not remind you of the 91 mm. FA Cup well, final? It, well, I think Actually. Romero did a sort of Gaza-style <laughs> wild challenge last night, to be fair to him, and then had to... Um, Turpan spent what, 15 minutes before giving him the red card, which was nice to see. But the Teddy Sheringham thing, I think, is quite interesting in the sense that he was a, a striker, not dissimilar in, in some ways to Harry Kane in the way he played, but he had, he always knew when to change clubs. And I think that's the decision mm. Harry Kane has, has got to come to this summer, I think. Um, so, yeah, there's a, I think there won't be a, a lack of suitors for Harry Kane if, if he does move on. Well, okay. my, my co- on sharing it, my colleague James Moore has made the point, he's a Spurs fan, he's made the point, um, could Kane do what Sheringham did? You know, Sheringham went to United, won everything, had a fun few years, and then came back. Mm. <laughs> could, uh, I, I wonder if Kane would follow a similar trajectory. You could mm. sort of imagine it, because I don't think he, at this point, he wouldn't burn bridges at Spurs by moving. No. I think everyone gets it now. Well, and then have a final hurrah. I guess we'll see. Uh, meanwhile... In football that actually happened this week, uh, there was Benfica 5, Bruges 1, the game which saw Scott Parker uh, losing his position as Bruges manager. Uh, some brilliant goals from Benfica in that game, but possibly the pick of the bunch was the late, late consolation for Bruges. Did you see that from Bjorn Meyer? No? Lovely. Co- I mean, if you wanted to check out some nice highlights, this game's got some gorgeous goals in it, mm. some sweeping manoeuvres from the... The Portuguese side, but Bjorn Meyer's uh, late consolation is a lovely shot. Uh, oh, also on Wednesday, of course, Bayern against Paris Saint Germain. There was there was lots of optimism, uh, notably indeed on on, on Tuesday's Totally Football show uh, from Parisian supporters uh, ahead of this second leg about their chances of turning things around. But instead, they lost two nil. They rarely threatened, and PSG are out at the last sixteen for the fifth time. In seven seasons, oh dear. Joining us now on the line, fresh back from the game, Julian Laurence. Jules, first of all, how good were Bayern Munich? I don't think they were that great, to be fair. Uh, they played better in the second half uh, because Nagelsmann tweaked a little bit the, the system and the tactics, which Galtier didn't do for for PSG. But I thought the first half, PSG had it under, under control and Vitinha had this incredible chance, really, that he should have buried in. And maybe if you go half-time 1-0 up, 
from a PSG point of view, maybe the second half is different. I, I don't know. But I didn't think Bayern were that impressive, which is really the form that we've seen them having this season. What Rafa often says is that they're not as dominant, as impressive as maybe in previous seasons. In the end, they deserve to go through over the two legs, of course. And maybe they, maybe they just didn't have to be impressive anyway, because playing like they did, which is well, probably maybe 60% of really the ability was enough anyway against the PSG team that when they had an opportunity, whether it was in the first leg or the second leg, could not take it and then kept making the same, the same mistakes and shooting themselves in the foot like they do all the time. Uh, also quite disappointing, Mbappe's performance. Now, a player that so many had looked to to make the difference, particularly after his cameo in the, the first leg. What was up with him, do you think? I think Bayern defended really well. Upamecano is, for me now, one of the best defenders in, in Europe, in the world. We, we, we saw it at the World Cup. And he performed really, really well in this game. There's no doubt. He got a bit of help from Stanisic at times, a bit of help from Delirte when needed. They Tactically, I think they defended really well to cut the relationship between Messi and, and Mbappe especially, but between Mbappe and the rest of the team. And you can be the best player in the world. There's a, there's, a, there's a moment, there's a certain level where you can't do it all on your own. Even Messi never did that, or Cristiano. And Kylian can't do it either. There's, there's a certain level that you reach like the game yesterday where as talented as Kylian is on his own, he can't just he can't just do it. This is not, you know, this is not magic. So I think this is that. Maybe he put too much pressure on himself by being very vocal about the fact that PSG can do it and that he wanted to do it. All of that. And But yeah, he, he was the first one disappointed. He didn't deliver. He, he spoke to us after the game, which he rarely does in the mix zone, to just basically state the truth which is that this is PSG's level they, they right now are not good enough to be uh, good but not very very good by Antim Was it a night that for all the superstars uh, illustrated that it's actually quite a thin squad Yeah Mbappe said it after the game he said I look at Bayern and they have a, they have a great squad they have a great team and they have a squad that can win the Champions League and basically hinting that PSG don't. And I think he's right. When you finish the game with two 17-year-olds on the pitch, as good as they are and they, as good as they might become, Zaire Emery and Bichiabu, it's not, it's not serious, let's be honest. I love them dearly and they, I think they can represent something very important in, in the near future for the club. But right now, you can't ambition to win the Champions League when in a game of this calibre, you, you play one for 45 minutes, the other one for 20 or 25 minutes, I can't remember how much it was, with them too. And Zaire Emery was actually very good when he played. Maybe better than Fabian Ruiz when he was on the pitch or Vitinha or Verratti. Maybe, but this is not right now the answer. And yeah, it shows you right that the squad, the way it's been structured, built, is just not good enough right now. It's not a Champions League squad. It's not at the level of a Bayern squad or a City squad. And what about Bayern's prospects? A lot of people have them as favourites for the, the tournament. You're not that convinced, though, Jules? I think Nagelsmann, in the end, outplayed tactically Galtier, but that's not hard because Galtier is not at the level of Nagelsmann anyway. So we knew before that Nagelsmann should be the better coach and he was the better coach over the two games. But I still look at them and I think with all the talent they have, they should be playing better than that. I'm not so sure about Thomas Muller, in, again, at this level. I'm not sure about Musiala playing on the left-hand side. I think he would be so much more effective in a more central role, but that would mean dropping Muller. Still not sure about promoting others. So there's, there's still a few question marks, I think, around that team right now. But 
yeah, of course they have to be amongst the favorite because if you look at the rest of the teams, they are better than Milan, they're better than Inter Porto, they're surely better, potentially better than Benfica. Napoli are great on paper and they've been great this season, all season, but when it gets to the clutch games with the experience, maybe they will show their inexperience. So, of course, Bayern have to be up there. But I'm watching the first leg and the second leg and I'm like, okay, yeah, of course, they have talent, but they should be playing much better football than what they do, should be more dominant, should be more in control. And at times against the disappointing PSG team, they were not. So, I'm, I'm just waiting and seeing. Julian Laurence. Yeah, um, another it's another season without for PSG. I thought it was quite neat that um, Chupo Moting scored because mm. his final Premier League assist was for, for Joe Allen, who was still, and I know we've said this before, he still appeared in the European final more recently than Lionel Messi. And I do think <laughs> it's quite, that's now eight years since, it's going to be eight years since Messi's appeared in the European final, which has kind of gone under the radar, I think, a little bit. I mean, obviously he's now won the World Cup. He's, he's pretty much won everything he needs to. But I think... He probably would have liked another Champions League, and that does seem sure he would. Yeah. Well, he, he made his choices. He'd ended with what three? He's got three already. It's not bad. Th- did he get one? It might be four. He might have been got credit. Oh, for the, yes, the he would have done. Yeah, yeah, he would yeah. So, so I mean, four's all right. Yeah, I mean, right. you take it. I suppose there'll be four more ties from the Champions League next Tuesday and Wednesday, and then of course the draw for the quarterfinals. So we're looking forward to all of that. Next up, though, on this show, let's get on to the Premier League weekend. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Premier League weekend kicks off Saturday, 12.30 with Bournemouth-Liverpool. Liverpool, fresh from putting seven goals past Man United, now take on the team that they beat 9-0 earlier this season. 
Then from three o'clock, you've got Leeds, Brighton, Everton, Brentford, Leicester, Chelsea, and that Spurs Nottingham Forest game. And tea time Saturday, it's Crystal Palace against Man City. Palace still winless this year, but they do have a funny record with City. They took four points off them last season. These Palace guys, wow. As Pep <laughs> said last season. <laughs> Decent. Also had the bit in the All or Nothing City series where they had to try and create some drama. City right. were like fifty-eight <laughs> points clear, yeah. and they they we drew. We're so close now, guys. Yeah, they drew at Selhurst Park at, at Christmas, and Pep was like ranting in the in the tiny dressing room, like we've blown it, guys, we've blown it, guys. So, um, yeah. I well, can't. this I mean, this could well see, you know, were it to. I mean, we'll get onto the game a little bit later to mention the other fixtures this weekend. There's three games at 2 o'clock on Sunday. Man United against Southampton. Uh, the David Cameron Confusion Derby, a.k.a. West Ham, Aston Villa. And Fulham Arsenal, which will be on television. And then you'll have Newcastle's 1-1 draw with Wolves. And that's, you know, I'm not just making that. I mean, that's what it'll be, Duncan. Am I right? Yeah, it's uh, finished 1-1 nine times. 15, yeah, these teams have met 15 times. times. Yeah, and nine of them. 60% of them, yeah. or nine. Nine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost two-thirds of those games have finished 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Right. It's, once upon a time, someone would have said, oh, that's one for the pools panel, but no one actually knows what that means. <laughs> right. So, including me. Okay. That's one of the games. That's the final game of that set of fixtures. What are the other ones that leap out at you, Charlie? What would you like to have a, a chat about? Because I know of, what of Adrian's those, team up <laughs> of those Saturday games. But no, of any of the games. I mean, I th- what are you looking forward to this weekend? I, th- I think it's a potentially important weekend. Uh, the top two. I mean, I was mm. thinking about this. City don't play the following weekend because they're in the FA Cup. So if they drop points at Palace, <sighs> Arsenal could have a double-digit lead going into that international break. Wow. Obviously, the flip side of that, City. If City do win, then it's two points by the time Arsenal play Fulham. Right. It's a tough away game. They're mm. off the back of. Um, going to Portugal, mm. you know, and Arsenal's probably their worst performance of the season, or one of them, was Leeds away, where they were off the back of a European trip a few days earlier. They actually won the game, but a little bit fortuitously. So right. that's a big test, and they're missing a few players, so they, they won't be able to rotate quite as much as they would right. like tonight as we record. So I think those two, you know, I mean, I guess every weekend now is is pivotal, but I wonder, yeah. I, I wonder if City look at this weekend and think... Guys, is, is, guys is, is, we are so close now, guys. Is, is this one where we eat into that five-point lead a little bit? I wonder, but they are at Fulham, Sunday, 2 o'clock. Fulham have uh, a key player out uh, suspended as well, Palinha, mm. top tackler in the Premier League uh, this season. I see that Arsenal have got got that uh, Gabriel Jesus back in full training. Oh. Yeah, yeah the, there's a video released uh, of him skipping around in training, throwing himself into, into tackles, and it was... It was pretty joyous to see, I've got to be honest, after all this time. And, yeah, it's exciting. I don't believe he's travelled to the Sporting mm. Lisbon game. But, but yeah, he could be, could be on the bench for, for Fulham. Certainly be on the bench, I would have thought, for the Sporting Lisbon return match. Um, so, yeah, yeah, classic, like a new signing, isn't it, uh, for, for Gabriel Jesus. And they need him because Eddie Nketi is injured. Leandro Trossard is injured. Mm. So, really... Going into this Fulham match, it has to be Gabriel Martinelli mm. up front. Unless they went Smith-Rowe false nine. But I don't, I don't, could. They've done it before, yeah. but it didn't really work. No, I think Smith-Rowe might be used out wide. But but yeah, it's uh, 
looking a little bit light on numbers in forward areas. And I've got to be honest, I'm a, I'm a touch nervous about it. Fulham. The pa- yeah, the Paulinho absence is big because I think he's like two players rolled into one for Fulham. He's everywhere, that guy. So that's a big loss for them. But Mitrovic is the kind of player that can hurt Arsenal. Arsenal have got a scored real, against them in the previous. They've the had a real weakness in since the turn of the year in the air. So balls that come into their box, whether it's from corners and free kicks or crosses, not defended it at all well. And clearly that's what Fulham will try to do with Mitrovic. Mm. Is Mana Solomon the, the, the man you should be most fearing? Definitely. The, 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 if I'm Mikel Arteta, I'm saying whatever you do, do yeah. not let Mana Solomon shoot mm. because he has an 80% conversion rate. Sounds just, sound sustainable. It, <laughs> he's had five shots and scored four goals. Right. It, it's quite bizarre, but... And they've been great finishes with both feet, head as well. So he scores in every manner. <laughs> was it his header? Was it his head that he scored with on Monday night in the three-two defeat away at Brentford? I think, I think it was. I might yeah. be wrong about that, yeah. but anyway. I think I saw, yeah, I think it mm. was. That point about having someone like Mitrovic because in the Everton game that Arsenal lost, having Calvert Lewin as an outlet, someone they could just ping it up to Brentford he'd, he'd win the first ball Brentford with Tony and that, and then you saw when Arsenal beat Everton 4-0 and they didn't have Calvert-Lewin how much of a massive difference that made yeah. so yeah that that I mean it's it's definitely it's definitely a tricky game yeah they, they're going to have to close down obviously the space for players like Willian you know player the player that they they mm. they let go and he'll get a good reception I'm sure <laughs> well he did he did everyone a favour didn't he did himself a favour yeah. didn't yeah. he yeah. by cancelling his contract mm. what he did by doing that was obviously sacrificing what about the contract William, it was really nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but he sacrificed cash, <laughs> hard cash. But what he did was open the pathway for him to actually decide his own career. Certainly get because he's not tied to anything. And, right. and he's chosen his pathway, <laughs> which has taken him to, you know, back to back to the Premier League. Whatever happens at Craven Cottage, let's hope that Arsenal don't exaggerate again with celebrating goals. <laughs> Just shake and hands. Wins. Shake hands and walk off the pitch. Job Politely. Done. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, to counter the fear shown by some people in this room, Arsenal always win at Craven Cottage, always. And it tends to be quite dominant. And okay. I remember under Unai Emery, was that the game when all the Arsenal fans were singing? We've, We've got, got our, our Arsenal, Arsenal back, back. yeah. 5-1. Yeah. Yeah. There mm. you go. Yeah. So, I think it'll be fine. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. Um, but yeah, on the, on the whole celebration thing, right. James, I mean, come on. Well, you were there last yeah. Saturday. It, it was Policing emo- the celebration. It was emotional. Telling everyone it to was come emotional. I, Honestly, I think in the context of that match, in the context right. of the season... It was the most euphoric moment I've experienced. I've I've not experienced a moment of that sort of euphoria for for years. I can't remember the last time. I'm sorry to hear that, Adrian. What 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 are they actually specifically investigating? I guess it's people entering the field of play. You've got to have rules, I guess, haven't you? There was that child without (laughs) (laughs) And it was was quite cute how his first instinct was, where's the dad? Well, no, his first instinct was celebrating, and then he quickly realised that, oh, this is... Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Who's this kid? On a serious note, that that moment Hmm. is the greatest advert for football mm. and for Premier League football that you could get. Just just the image mm. of the whole stadium celebrating as a collective, the players, the staff, just that joyous moment. It, and if you get if you get punished for that, then yes. the game has gone. The game has officially gone. It reminded me of the... There's a couple of good videos from in the crowd when Aguero scored for City in 2012. And obviously, and you can see, they can feel the nervousness and then the, the release of joy and energy mm. when that goes in. It's... Aiden's right. It's what football's about. Yeah, I, I did this. Sh- I worked on the show, and one of the first things I said, you know, I have said it before, but 
it's like, how can anyone not like football? It's mm. for moments like that that we love football. But then you have Spurs Milan. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which, yeah, which makes it even more important that you actually you celebrate. celebrate those moments. Yeah, exactly. Right, okay. Crystal Palace could do with a moment or two like that. Still yet to win a game since the turn of the year. That's a nine-game run of matches without a victory. The longest of any club in the Premier League. Ooh, they haven't even had a shot on target in their last two Premier League matches. Has a team ever gone three matches without a shot on target, Duncan? Never in the recorded Premier League history. And we've obviously got Leicester on the same as well. So two Ooh. teams going into this Ooh. weekend. Ooh. I mean, Spurs last year did the duration of three games mm. without a shot on target, but right. not three full ones. I would say, and Duncan, you'll know this probably, but City feel like the worst team to be playing if yeah. you're trying to break that drought. Because they must have had more time as a yeah. team not having a shot on target yeah, than definitely. anyone yeah. last year. Yeah. Yeah. It was goalless last year in this yeah. fixture. Mm. Um, Palace won't have very much of the ball in the game. There's a big onus, I think, on Sambi Laconga, which is mm. you know, kind of interesting because yeah. he would obviously, or you would like to think that he would like to take points off of off of Manchester City. But Dekure is missing, isn't he? Czech Dekure, who I yeah. think is the, sort of their most solid midfielder. Puts an awful lot of pressure on on Sambi Laconga, who's kind of doing all right there. But I wonder if Patrick Vieira will just pack that midfield and sort of change the shape and bring in a couple of people alongside him just to sort of try and nullify City's midfield, um, which will probably dominate. Um, be interesting to see if Foden plays. Mm. You've got a guy that suddenly rediscovered his mojo. He's flying, but it's kind of Mares's turn. To have a game, mm. what's he going to do? Is he is he go, is he going to ignore that? Well, Foden and I use the guy. We mentioned form. this on Monday. Was talking about him still experiencing pain in his foot. Right. So whether that might be a motive, but if not, and whether you you rest him for the the second leg against Leipzig, which is coming up a few days after this one one from uh, the encounter in Germany. But yeah, four goals in three games for the young un. That mm. is huge, actually. Him being back to that sort of form and fitness. Um, he, he does just give, you know, City can at their worst look a little bit methodical and maybe even can veer on being predictable as good as they are. But then you, someone like Foden, he, he is just that little bit of spice, something different. Mm. Bournemouth against Liverpool is 12.30 on Saturday. Yes, the reverse fixture at Anfield brought the biggest win of Jurgen Klopp's career and the sudden end of Scott Parker's at the Cherries. Liverpool were 5-0 up at halftime. You remember, Adrian? Roberto Firmino... Scored or assisted five of the nine goals that day. Yeah, he did. And and I tell you who didn't have any involvement in goals or assists was Mo Salah. Mo Salah, uh, despite playing the ninety minutes, so it was a real quirky mm. occasion for him. And he is across the last five Premier League games the most dangerous player in the division. Um, he's scored four. He's assisted three. No one else has had seven direct goal involvements across those games. And good numbers. Yeah, he's he's flying again, isn't he? This based on that precedent at Anfield, looks like a, a good game for Liverpool. But yeah. to what extent will their midweek trip to the Bernabeu be weighing on their minds? Yeah, I mean, Do you want to rack up the goals here or do you want to keep a little bit of that? <laughs> I think Liverpool dry? are the reverse of what we were saying about Chelsea earlier yeah. in the sense yeah. that they're probably going to go out of the Champions League, but they've got a really good chance of coming fourth. In fact, I'd say they're probably the favourites to come yeah. fourth now. So they're definitely going to want to win this one. Yeah, and I, I've got to say that as unlucky as Bournemouth were, to some degree, mm. to, to, to lose in the last kick of the match against Arsenal, when I dug a little bit deeper, because it felt like it was absolute one-way traffic after that crazy, amazing kick-off goal after nine seconds, dug a little bit deeper, got on the hotline um, to my stats guru. Okay. And it turns out that 
that uh, under Arteta, mm. they smashed pretty much all records. It was the most shots in a game under Arteta. Mm. It was the most touches in the box. Was it in a like game 31 shots? Yeah, 31 shots. There was more touches in the box than they'd had against Dundalk in the Europa League, which had been the previous record. Game state's important there, Everything, though, isn't it, as well? Yeah, the fact every, they were trailing throughout. Exactly. They were chasing the game yeah. for the entirety of it. But but Bournemouth weren't solid. Mm. They, they didn't have very much of the ball, but you never felt that they'd shut up shop. You don't feel that they're really best suited mm. to handling an avalanche. And I think, I think that's what Liverpool will, will, will give them at the weekend. I, think, I don't think they'll get nine, but I think they'll get, they'll get three or more. Let's see. Let's see. Of course, if it's nine you're after, you can't say fairer than Southampton. We'll be talking about them next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. It's McCarthy. It's a good save by Howard. It's been turned in by Costinha. Last minute. And it could be the last minute of Manchester United's European season. 9th of March, everybody, as we... Record this on this day in history in 2004. It was Man United Porto at Old Trafford, the one where Porto were heading out of the Champions League, and it was the last minute. And there was that free kick from Benny McCarthy. Nobody remembers this now, but Jose Mourinho went running down the touchline in his overcoat, and yeah, they went through to the quarterfinals. And uh, how did they do that season? They won it. They won it. It's, this weird, it's the weirdest Champions League season. It was the first one when it had gone to that format, which is still the current format. And I think you can make a case that Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United all blew a really good mm. chance to win the Champions League that year. The Porto-Monaco final, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was a strange one. And that was also the one where Morientes was allowed to play mm. on loan for Monaco and knocked Real Madrid out. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, he was at Real Madrid on loan at Monaco. I mean, just extraordinary, sort of felt at the height of their galactico negligence yeah uh, <laughs> I mean weren't Leon as well weren't they knocking around and it was sort of could this be their year I think they went out in the quarters as well yeah maybe to Porto actually with Juninho Penabucano exactly yeah, yeah that great team free kick expert yeah mm. yeah the simpler mo- time the man who watched videos of Cristiano Ronaldo yeah now, I mean, sorry that, that do you know how you have like random things that stick in your mind he scored for Leon in the Champions League and Sky's Champions League roundup at the end. They showed the highlights of the other games, and the presenter at the time went, 
Mm. Look who's been watching videos of Cristiano Ronaldo. That's <laughs> <laughs> the greatest free kick taker <laughs> ever, apart from Sinise Mihalovic. Uh, lashed in another. Was yeah. that presenter Keezy? It was Richard Keyes. Mm. Anyway, well, there you go. That's a little, uh, that's a little memento from the football of yesteryear. Coming up uh, on Sunday at 2 o'clock, Man United taking on Southampton. Now, I, I referenced the nine-goal business. Of course, Southampton had conceded nine goals famously to Leicester. Got their revenge last weekend. This weekend, they take on another team that's recently beat them wow. with nine goals. Man United, dot, 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 question mark. I mean, they did draw this last season, this game last season, 1-1, yeah. So, mm. uh, exacted a measure and for revenge there. Now, with this kind of... This time to be facing Man United, is it going to be a, a Man United team with their morale on the floor, broken in spirit and body? Or is it a Man United team hungry to get out there and inflict some pain on someone? Yeah, look, they, they do have the game in between mm. against Betis, don't they, oh, to yeah, get it out true. of their system. Mm. But you would imagine that... that but if that goes looking, badly... Yes, they, they, I think they'll, they'll have their minds on the job. And in mm. particular, somebody like Bruno, Bruno Fernandes will will be eager to please, I would imagine, <laughs> given the stick that, that, that he's had. I think Anthony got off lightly. I think he's someone that that, that kind of down tools in that game as well. But but Bruno Fernandes is having a good season. I think Ten Hag described it as have, he's having a brilliant campaign. Mm. He is. He's having, He's been really, really influential. Do you, do you think there should be some action against him we were talking about this on Monday and Daniel Story would say yeah nothing will happen he'll still have the, the armband and I, I was surprised by that would you would you think that I it don't sends think, a... I don't think it, it's necessary to be no. honest no I think he's backed his man he said look that wasn't clever but we love him let's move on like I think most Manchester United fans accept that Bruno Fernandes is an absolute irritant to most to most sets of fans, but he, he is a very good player, and, yeah. and Ten Hag isn't daft. He won't want to upset one of his key players. Well, he, hang on, he did that before he, when when Rashford's alarm didn't go off. He he was very keen on bringing in disciplinary measures because no exceptions, etc. I don't know. That's why I assumed that he would go. Bruno, if he hasn't if you done it want... by now. He, if he hasn't done it by now, he's not going to do it. Well, it? So, that's true, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but but look, he's created more chances in open play than anyone in the division this season, Bruno Fernandes. Wow. He's, he's even f ahead of Kevin De Bruyne, which is remarkable. So he's he's doing the biz, and I yeah. don't think he'll want to uh, upset him too much. Fair enough. They've only won three of their last nine Premier League meetings with Saints at Old Trafford. I mean, for me, I think for this game, the biggest story potentially is, is James Ward-Prowse scoring a free kick because he'll go level with David Beckham if he does. And what better place to do it than on the... Uh -huh. On the hallowed turf yeah, of Old Trafford. So, um, yeah, be looking out for that. United have struck an early blow ahead of this game by uh, signing Southampton's lead data scientist, mm. uh, Alex Klein. Do you, do you know him? I don't know him, no. But Is that an exciting development in the world of data scientist transfers? Possibly. I mean, those lads keep themselves to themselves. I mean, right. clubs keep all that stuff very, very secret. Because, right. You know, How good is he if he's been lead data scientist at Southampton? <laughs> That's the kind of disconnect between those departments at football clubs. A club can be run very well in, in that sense mm. and not necessarily, you know, that reflect on, on the pitch. I mean, Southampton have just taken Jason Wilcox from, from Manchester City in a, in a more senior role, and he was very well thought of at City, but he's gone to, gone to Southampton. So How much has he gone for? I don't know, 8.1 million. 
How long Giga bucks. <laughs> um, but I think you can't judge a, a team's that department based on their league position. So right. If it's more, it's a longer term thing. And if if someone thinks that um, they can build something at a club, they'll they'll go there. Gotcha. But it is probably true to say that that's the kind of figure that United have been sorely lacking. Is that true? Well, yeah, that's the thing that's that's funny about the whole situation is that United have had to go to someone like Southampton who have been a very you know good club over the last decade at that sort of thing because United pretty much were the worst team in the country at, at that sort of uh, research and, uh, and planning. So it shows that they are not just improving on the pitch but are, are doing it off the pitch as well, which, you know, augurs well for the for them for the next few years mm -hmm. indeed so okay that's Saints at Man United anyone actually predicting a Saints point or three no I think United will win that yeah mm. can't say anything but a but home win here what, what about West Ham Aston Villa West Ham have a terrific record against Villa they've won the last five but Villa are a strange team I mean Maybe that's just the hallmark of a new Emery team. They can be, you know, really good one week, really bad. But yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to expect from them. I've been really impressed with them at, at times uh, since he's come in. Obviously, they beat United in his first game. They've had some other good results, beat Spurs. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they went there and, you know, West Ham were able to dig out a result. I mean, West Ham as well play tonight, as we record, don't mm. they, in the Conference League. So, you know, and that that would involve some travel. Um I feel like well, I'm just waiting for West Ham for something to click and I, I wonder if this could be the game where they dig out a 1-0 and, and But they smash Forest 4-0. You yeah. saw that was the one. And yeah. then they go to Brighton and they get just destroyed. Mm. I think the shot count was 3-20 to 20 in Brighton's favour in that particular game. It's pretty, pretty poor effort from the Hammers. Yeah, it, I mean, the numbers tell you that Villa are the best starters, scored the most goals in the first 15. West Ham have yet to score in the first... 15. So they must be what joint worse then? Absolutely, they are the worst. So, right. So yeah, you can maybe see a Villa Villa early goal and then they'd be clinging on. What we'll say about Villa is that the response to that Arsenal game, which was must have been really disappointing mm. for Emery, mm. he was fuming, wasn't he, with with Emmy Martinez in particular, has been great. They went to Everton, got a clean sheet win. They had Palace at home, awkward looking game, won it with a clean sheet. So that. They've got themselves in, into a good good frame of mind. And, yeah, I think they're capable, Villa, of beating West Ham in this game. Danny Ings, Adrian, mm. against the club that sold him. Yeah. I mean, he'll... He has that every week, to be fair. Yeah, he'll yeah. be up for it, won't he? But the last club to sell him. It was one of those scenarios where Emery couldn't really find a place for Watkins and Ings. Mm. So he just gave up on it and said, look, you can go. It's fine. Look, you know, it's just one of those. And they obviously got, got a bit of cash in. Ings will be fired up because mm. he didn't get picked by Uno yeah. Emery. So there'll be a little bit of a point to prove, won't there? Yeah. Excellent. Oh, you mentioned the shot count mm. when Brighton faced West Ham and how it was massively in Brighton's favour. Turns out that uh, they've got one of the best differences, uh, positive differences between shots on target and shots on target faced. Actually, I'm not surprising anyone with this information, am I? That's what, that's what happens to them in pretty much every game. In total this season, 136 shots on target and only 75 faced. Yeah. And Where does got that rank them, did you say? Second. Second line City. Wow. So, yeah, and... Brian, they've played not many games. They're only 23 games. So they've it's got tremendously dull stat, and I realise, having aired it. Well... 
What, not as dull as how many games they've played. <laughs> um, 23. 23 games, but that's three fewer than Spurs, and they're only seven points behind Spurs. Right, so they've got three games in hand. Brighton have got an outside chance of the top four. Right. On their current form. Mm. I'm, I'm mega impressed with them. Like, that third goal against West Ham, the Mitoma one, because it looks like a tap-in at the far mm. post if you only see the clip of it. Mm. But the move that preceded it mm. was was top-level football. Fast, fluid, interchanging positions, little flicks and tricks. I thought it was a, a sensational team goal. And that's what they're capable of now, Brighton, under, under De Zerbi. I think he's quickened them up. And he deserves credit, obviously, for, for giving young Evan Ferguson more of a chance. He looks a proper player. I think he's... I'm not, I don't want to say he's the next Harry Kane, but but he look, he reminds me a lot of Harry Kane, and uh, I think that he's got the Which ability. Which <laughs> Just stature, style of play, finishing ability, movement mm. inside the box. He just he's a proper centre forward, and I'm convinced he'll play for one of the, the the giants of English football. You know, pretty soon. I think right. I think they'll all be looking at him right now. So like Harry Kane. Yes. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine if Harry Kane loses a potential dream move to, to say let's Manchester, let's say Manchester United because they choose Evan Ferguson because he's got his best years ahead of him? I mean, it's not well, completely Deser- unrealistic. Not Deserby as well is another one who mm. you think Brighton might have a job on their hands to keep at the end of the season. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, with his history of jumping clubs as well. That's Leeds Brighton. Spurs, Nottingham Forest, we kind of touched on before, but Charlie? No, I think from a Spurs point of view, they just have to win that game. I think it could get really ugly, really mutinous in the ground. Mm. Um, if they don't, you know, fans are going to be going to that game with a lot of pent-up anger. And they, they just need to start well, show a bit of desire. I wonder if they'll make a few changes. I wonder if Richarlison, uh, who we spoke about earlier, will come in. But Forest, yeah, I mean, their record on the scoring away from home has been really bad. But they, Well, yeah, 12, 12 games. How many goals? What is it? Three. Three goals. Three. Three. The all-time Premier League record, Duncan, is... I'm well, throwing these ones out here, aren't I? Oh, yeah. Seven goals. That was by Norwich. They only managed seven goals. But Forest are on three. And it surprises me because they're a really good counter-attacking side. Because that's how they play at home. They oh. play with real spirit. They, they, they break quickly and they, they make things happen. The thing about Forest that, that is kind of amazing given how many players they've signed from overseas is that Steve Cooper has landed on the on the basically the core that were playing championship football last season <laughs> Joe Worrell plays every single week Morgan Gibbs White who was at Sheffield United he's their best player Brennan Johnson is is probably their second best player Ryan Yates is the one that he can rely on in midfield you have to spend all of that money it's actually the guys that they already had mm. that he trusts he trusts the most sometimes the real Big money signings for the players you, you met along the way. Mm. Or... <laughs> and Kayla Navas. And Kayla Navas, yeah. Meanwhile, and Jed Kayla. Spence, who was also one of their key players last season, as yep. I mentioned, is off on loan from Spurs. Mm. Watching this game with interest, I'm sure. Yeah. Everton, Unless he's playing at the time, sorry. No, no, not at all. Uh, it will be the first time. time someone's watched a Spurs game with interest in a while. But, uh, <laughs> Everton taking on Brentford Saturday at 3... Brentford, who, as we mentioned before, three 3-2 winners on Monday night over Fulham. They're now 12 games unbeaten in the league. Ivan Tony's still not yet banned. He scored from the spot in that match. 
Thomas Frank to Spurs? Well, I, I have so much respect and admiration for Thomas Frank. I think he's amazing. I think from being in his press conferences after Spurs games, I remember last season just being so impressed with his energy, uh, how articulate he is, his spirit. I think a lot of clubs should be looking at him. And I know, you know, there are people uh, at a lot of these clubs who, who are watching Brentford, obviously, keenly. Just what a phenomenal job and a great character, a great personality. Someone who I think does lift the whole mood of a club and gets people to buy in and believe in it. But Spurs fans would still prefer Poch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Poch, to, you know, not all, not everyone is enthralled to Poch, but the he certainly would be the popular choice at this point, yeah. There's some big name managers available at the moment, aren't there, who are not currently engaged. Not Thomas Tuchel. Cool. Thomas mm. Tuchel, Luis Enrique. Yeah, yeah. Scott Park, Martin O'Neill, O'Neill. On this game, if we could turn it, flip it back. Great duel in prospect: Tarkovsky v Tony. I just mm. think that's a proper old school, full-blooded duel. Ivan Tony is the flick-on king, as as you know, Duncan. He's um, <laughs> your ears pricked there, didn't they, James? Thirty-three more flick-ons than anybody else in the division. He and flicks you, on yeah. thirty-three. He's flicked on, he's made 80 flick ons, which 80. is 30, 33 more than the next player, right. who you will never ever guess. The next. I just mentioned him a couple of minutes ago. Tarkovsky. Oh, it's a str- uh, an attacking player. It's an attacking Bruno. player. Bruno. Ferguson? You're never going to get it. No, Morgan Gibbs White. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's so like a number 10 guy. This stat refers to when you flick on the ball and it reaches one of your teammates. I think so. It yeah. doesn't just aimlessly well, No, no, it can be well, unsuccessful. Yeah. Well, that's. Okay. All it means the ball bounces off you at some point. That's football, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but but Tarkovsky... What's that stat tell us? Yeah. Well, it's a great link how Brentford play. Yeah. Well, gets, and I think that's the... To your point, it. Charlie, about about Spurs, that's, I guess, the the thing, isn't it? Would, would a man who's built yeah. a team like Brentford, who are incredibly good at set pieces, incredibly organised... Mm. And quite direct. Would would. But but that's what's interesting because yeah. that's not how they played in the championship, no. was it? They were he's, totally he's different. He's done it two ways. Yeah. They played beautiful football in the championship. They did. Yeah, they did. But it was still quite direct at points, I'd say. It's because they've got Ivan Tony, mm. like the best flick flicker on her, <laughs> you know, in, in the country. So why wouldn't you do that? I suppose. But the football was good in the championship. Um, on Tarkovsky, by the way, he he's the king of the box. He's got like. So many more blocks than than anybody else in the division. Twenty seven more than the next. Who is former teammate of his called Ben Me, who ben plays ben for me. plays for Brentford. Ben so um, yeah. El Blockico is what you're saying. El Blockico, yeah. But I just think it's a great duel because Tarkovsky's a giant in the air, and you know if ever anyone can stop the the flick ons, it might be Tarkovsky. Brilliant. Can you uh, muster similar levels of enthusiasm for <laughs> Newcastle Wolves? Nope. Okay. Do you think the players don't are aware of that one-one record? Do you think it's a slight self-fulfilling prophecy where they're like, "Oh, the one all they're like, oh that'll we'll be do. good for the numbers." Yeah, we'll keep that going. I mean, we could have this record sewn up. Newcastle scored three league goals this year. Yeah, three really in eight games. Yeah. Yeah. Newcastle has scored three league goals in 2023 in eight games. Yeah, it's karma for for ruining the game at Arsenal. You see, it's, uh, it's come back to get bite. that much off. Um, <laughs> and it's going to be it's a year this week since the Wolves striker scored um, in the Premier League. So crazy. It's not filling me with huge excitement <laughs> ahead of this fixture, but you never know. Yeah, Newcastle. Yeah. There's also often that post uh, League Cup final that lull, Arsenal, isn't there? The Arsenal in 2011. Yeah. yeah. So Spurs famously after they won the thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm. In 2008. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so you you do wonder. So. And it, I think there's a bit of a split now in Newcastle fans that, you know, a lot of them, if you'd have said the cup final and finishing sort of top six, top eight at the start of the season, they'd have, they'd have gone for it. Mm. But having been within touching distance of the top four for a long time, or in it for a mm. long time, it does feel... I mean, it's the classic thing with football, isn't it? If you, if you start slowly and end the season well, everyone's happy. Yeah. If you oh, start yeah. well and end it a bit yeah. slower, everyone's like, well, that was a waste well, of time. What they season. feel now is we need... We need more players. We need more strikers. They wouldn't be feeling that if they finished strongly. They'd think, mm. oh, thank goodness we had Callum, Callum Wilson mm. and Isak and, and whatnot. But I think the truth is they do need to upgrade the attacking midfielders and and a striker. Um, I mean, they've, they've got what they've brought Gordon in, haven't they, for a lot of money? Yeah. Sam Axeman, you think, is not quite the level? Yeah, I, I just think it, it's a really sort of athletic midfield unit isn't it it's Joel Linton and and Willock and Longstaff they're, they're proper box to boxers mm. but have they got the guile to unlock teams Gimaresh Gimaresh is, is, is a top level player he, he's the he can do it all Almiron the, the flashiest player you'll ever see scores loads of goals or has done this season but his chance creation is is really poor so I think that that those sort of two attacking box-to-box midfield positions and maybe the wide men are where they can properly upgrade Newcastle. For perspective, they are sixth right now, but they're only four points off the top four with two games in hand on Spurs. The issue being the fact that they have kind of stopped winning games in the Premier League. No victories since mid-January against Fulham. And that was a last minute Mm. with Fulham having missed a penalty. So, yeah... Yeah, before that, you have to go back to last year, 2022. Remember that? Leicester. Indeed. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, on that high, uh, we reached the end of (laughs) today's Totally Football show. Many thanks to everyone for coming in. We've got uh, a busy weekend ahead of us, and then on Monday we'll be back to review it all. Uh, so I do hope you'll be joining us then, listener. Thanks for your company today. Thanks also to Adrian, Duncan, Charlie and producer Charlie. And from all of us here, it's have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.